are you, Wes? Um, glad you're here. We've been uh, talking about the life of King David, the ancient king. There's more written about King David uh, than any other ancient king in history, which is, I think, a pretty interesting fact. Um, and tonight we come to the greatest failure in the life of David. He has, this is from 2 Samuel 11 and 12, he has committed adultery, he's taken another man's wife, had sex with her, um, and to cover it up, he has her husband murdered, Uriah, who was one of his buddies. And he goes about eight months before he's confronted by Nathan the prophet, who comes to him and says, like, you've done this. And out of that experience, he, he writes this psalm, which is a psalm of repentance. And um, for some reason this week, I was thinking about the line from Hallelujah, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty in the moonlight overstreet. She tied you to your kitchen chair, she broke your throne, she cut your hair. And from your lips, you drew a hallelujah. Now, Cohen, in writing that song, is mixing both David's story and Samson's story, but that's okay. We won't get into that. But the point is, it's a really famous story of failure. How do you, how do you recover from that? I mean, how does someone, how does David change? From something like that. How does he how does he get back? How does he change who he is? And that's where we get to this word repentance. How do we really change? Is it possible for us to change the things about ourselves, the things that we hate so much? Is that is this something we can actually do? And the Christian gospel says yes, and it's through repentance. Now you think the word repentance, it's like old timey, dusty sounding word. In fact, most of the time, like you've seen repentance, it's like it's some some billboard, like in Alabama somewhere. No offense, I'm in from Arkansas or whatever. Some like southern place, like repent, with like flames coming up. Repent for the end is near, and like it's a kind of a cartoony, uh, regressive kind of thing. But repentance is ex- it's the only way you can change. Repentance is coming home to God. Repentance, as David says, and this is sort of the heart of the psalm, in verse 6, he says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You desire truth in the inmost place. That is, God has to get at the real us, the, the broken, flawed, scared, messed up person that we don't want to look at and we definitely don't want anyone else to see. And so... Repentance starts there. We come home to God there. The truth in the inward part. And so we'll look at two things tonight. We have to know the truth about our sin. To understand the truth about our sin. And then second, the truth about who God is. Holding both of those things together. The truth about our sin, the truth about God, and then so what do we do with that? Let's look together at the truth about our sin. David... When he's desiring truth in the inmost place, he wants to know, he wants to find out what is 
really true about his core. It's a very sobering place. And it's taken like murder and all of the, the wheels to fall off, the, the doors to be blown out of his life. And so here's what he says. The first thing to be truth, truthful about our sin, we see David owns his sin personally. And he owns up to it personally. In fact, in the first few verses, he uses a personal pronoun eight times. Have mercy on me, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me with hyssop, cleanse me, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He uses these personal pronouns because he's not blaming anyone else. That's the first thing we do. Like, we want to blame someone else or we want, to, we want to look at someone else. We want to compare ourselves to someone else. Like, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not, I, 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 at least I haven't done this. It's the first thing we do. So we have these natural defense mechanisms when, we're, when, we're, when we don't want to face our sin. And David's saying, the place that has to start is I have to be specific about my sin. It's my fault. This is mine. One writer said that how humbling it is that this story, and how humbling it must have been for David, to know that this story and the story of Goliath are really the only two, like the two things when you know about David is like, oh, David killed a giant and he like killed someone and he had, he got some other guy's wife pregnant. And then Psalm 51 is a psalm that the, that the Hebrew people would have sung all the time, it was a psalm. These were songs. And, and this song was probably written about 3,000 years ago. So imagine your worst sin, your worst failure being turned into a song and sung by people for 3,000 years. And he does it because like this is who he is. So the first part about being truth about our sin is that you have to own it personally. Like it's, my, it's mine. This is my stuff. It's not my brother's stuff or my sister's stuff. It's not my friends. It's not my parents. This is, this is something I've done. This is me. The second thing about uh, being truthful about our sin is that we have to name it specifically. So it's not only ours, it's, it belongs to us, but it's something that he names. He says, my transgression, which would have been literally it's my rebellion. He says, wash away my iniquity, which is perversion. Like being twisted, perverse. And then when he says, my sin is always before for me, the, the word sin here means falling short of God's standard. So here's literally what it is. I am rebellious, perverted failure. I'm a rebellious, perverted failure. My rebellion is always before me. My sin is always before me. Can you think of something you know when, you, when you've done something and you can't stop thinking about it? It's always before you. like It's, it's like a sign that you can't erase. Uh, one, one translation says, it's like my sin is staring me down. I can't get away from my failures. Which brings us to like a problem in our culture today is that we don't think sin and guilt are real. They're sort of explained away, or it's so passe to talk about something 
being objectively wrong or you having sin or maybe it's something that uh, a problem you have, but not like a something that's actually broken, something that actually causes you to be guilty. That's so like passe. But what David teaches is something so important that it's not just the things that he's done that make him guilty. It's who he is as a person. In verse 5 he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That is, it's not just like the things that I've done that make me guilty. There's something wrong with me. There's something broken inside of me that makes me do these things. Isn't it fascinating that that what he's saying is the problem is not just my adultery. The, The problem is not just murder. The real problem is that I can't stop doing this. So uh, I want to look at some different ways, like some different, like maybe quotes um, that get at this issue of humanity being messed up. See, you're not you're not a sinner because you like make like do sinful things. You're a sinner because it's like there's your heart, your inner part is twisted. Herman Melville, the writer, put it this way. Lord, have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike. For we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly mending. That humanity is dreadfully cracked about the head. Has that ever occurred to you in your life? Like, the reason I can't change is because I'm just looking at my behavior. I'm just looking at these things that I do. There's something wrong with me on the inside. Or the poetry of Charles uh, Charles Bukowski. Listen to what he wrote. And he was no fan of Christianity or of God or anything. What can we do? He says humans at their best... There is gentleness, some understanding, and at times acts of courage, but all in all, it's a mass, a glob that doesn't have too much. It's like a large animal deep in sleep, and almost nothing can awake it. When activated, it's best at brutality, selfishness, unjust judgments, and murder. What can we do with this humanity? Nothing. Avoid the thing as much as possible. Treat it as you would anything poisonous, vicious, and mindless. But be careful. It has enacted laws to protect itself from you. It can kill you without cause. And to escape it, you must be subtle if you escape. It's up to you to figure out a plan. I have met nobody who has escaped. I have met some of the great and famous, but they have not escaped. For they are only great and famous within humanity. I have not escaped, and I have not failed in trying again and again before my death. I hope I obtain life. It's really dark and heavy. And we don't want to see this part of ourselves. But the only way we can ever have change is to be honest to what is really inside of us. Funny example of this is I've always said I don't snore. Right? I've always said that I'm not a snorer. 
In the same way we say we're not sinners, like I don't want to see my sin, you have to have someone on the outside like Nathan coming and saying, you did this, you're a sinner, and this is what God does, he's convicting us, and it's hard, it's, 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 it's disappointing. My family said, you snore. I take a nap, they say, you snore. My little girl thinks it's so cute. Daddy snores, it's so cute. My wife doesn't think it's very cute. And I say, I don't snore. And then one day, they thought it was funny. One afternoon, one Sunday afternoon, my, my afternoon nap, they recorded me. It's so bad. And there I was, disturbingly snoring on the recording. And I thought about this, like, it was, I felt ridiculous, I was embarrassed, I was humiliated. And I thought about, like, my soul. Like, God sees the me I don't see. What is the truth about you? Like, what is the truth that you don't want to see, you don't want to deal with? You can call it, like, religious fanaticism. You can call it, like, psychology. You can call it anything. But, like, what's the thing that you cannot change about yourself? What's the thing that you, you know that has your number over and over and over again, and, and you can't clean it up? What part of you is a rebellious, perverted failure? Because the Bible's saying we all are. Which takes us to our second point. The truth about God. See, if you just stop right here, you feel bad about yourself, you feel lousy, you feel like a loser. Um, just feeling bad, bad about yourself is not repentance. Jeremy, just feeling bad about your sin, like I'm a terrible person, I'm a loser, I know it. Like a lot of people I've talked to over the years, people who grew up in church, like that's repentance. That's not. You have to move towards God's grace. The only one who can clean you. See, David had come to a place and had done something so outrageous that he realized something. There is something so wrong with me. I'm cracked about, a, about the head. And I can't fix this. Someone else has to change me. And so he moves to two things. Who God is and then what God does. The truth about God is who God is, which is we are messed up and God is full of mercy for messed up people. Have mercy, O God, according to your unfailing love, he used this word again, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's saying, according, because you are this way, I can't fix this, but according to your grace, according to your mercy, you have to fix me. You have to wash me. This is a bold thing he's doing. C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 19th century in, in London, said that the reason he believes this is recorded in the Bible is so that no one would ever despair of forgiveness. Of something that is this bad and a God that is this gracious. Repentance comes not just from seeing the truth about yourself, but running wildly to the mercy of God. And that there's nothing you can't ask. 
and that there's nothing that you've done that his great and abundant mercy can't blot out. I think the biggest problem for some of us is that we stay over in the corners and we live in self-pity or penance. You know what penance is? Penance is not repentance. Penance is you taking it out on yourself. You thinking badly of yourself enough. You hating yourself enough. Some of us physically hurting ourselves enough. Physically starving ourselves enough to somehow, some way, maybe I will clean myself up. Repentance is us saying, yes, this is true about me, but this is true about God. According to your character. Here's what David is saying. God, I know what you're like. I know what I'm like and I know what you're like. And so I'm going to do something really bold. I'm going to say you blot out my sin because you are so merciful. And that's what he does. God is in the business of pardoning us. Pardon. See, what we need is not just like us to forgive ourselves, which by the way, you can't do that. Like, I want to forgive myself. I want to feel okay about it. I want to like forgive myself of my sin. And this is be like really, really dark sins and really, really big sins. And this is a really, really small thing. No matter what it is, we want to forgive ourselves, accept yourself. You can't do that. Someone outside of you who actually has authority has to pronounce pardon. And that's exactly what David is saying. You pardon me. God, pardon me. Forgive me. I commit myself to you. Blot it out, he says. Blot it out. I did this, blot it out. According to your mercy, blot it out. Erase it. Take it away. He's entrusting himself to God's mercy. See, the truth about ourselves has to be brought specifically to a God who promises to forgive you. And here's the problem that we don't, the reason we don't want to do this is because we, it means we're out of control. It means you can't control your own forgiveness. Repentance is when you realize that no matter what you do, you can't fix your life. Repentance is when you can't undo what you've done, when you can't wash yourself and you have to fall down and say, God, save me. Martin Luther said that the whole Christian life is a life of repentance. It's not just something you do once. It's something that's ongoing. You're constantly turning from your own darkness and your own guilt and your own penance and your own self-loathing and your own self-hatred. And you're running to God and saying, God, this is the way I am. Please, I beg you to have mercy on me. And then that's exactly what he does. An illustration of this for me, of like coming to the end of myself, uh, another kind of humorous thing, because I've, you know, I'm not going to do like a psychological script piece for you up here with all my secrets. That's for another time. Um, I was in fifth grade. I was in Magnolia, Arkansas, at my grandmother's place. My grandfather, they lived on a lot of land. And me and my buddy thought it'd be fun to build a fire after a drought in a field of hay. It was brilliant. My buddy had like a magnifying glass. You can like light a fire with a magnifying glass. Like, you know. And pretty soon, my grandfather's field was like in flames. And so I remember, walk, I remember running out crying, like crying, so scared. And I had like a glass that about this big. 
about this big, full of water. And it was like the, the, the fire at this point was like this big. And I was like, ha, 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 Knowing that like I'm, I'm dead. And I remember going like, <laughs> and the flames like lapped it up, right? And here's what I did. My grandfather was this big old school World War II kind of guy. He just walks, he's walking out. And I just fall down at his feet. And I say, I'm sorry, granddaddy. I can't stop it. And I'm not kidding, it's like magic. I don't know how he did this. He got this big blanket and he went like, <laughs> and like my smoke stained, like gray charcoal face. So I was like, I've never forgotten that. Because that's what God did for us in the cross of Jesus. And here we are, and our sin is too much. And it's too big, and the stuff inside of us is too much, and we don't know what to do with it. We have our little glass of like penance and self-pity, and we go, it's, and it doesn't even make a dent in it. And then we don't want to deal with it, so we just want to go get lit. We want to go get wasted. We want to numb ourselves. We want to just not feel what is going on inside of us. We don't want to deal with it. And then Jesus shows up, and the cross of Jesus Christ is the proof that God pardons you. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look, I see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. You see... If you don't have a biblical definition of sin, which is very countercultural and very offensive, then you have to have some other explanation for why you have healed. You have to have some other explanation of what's wrong with you, what's broken inside of you. And the Christian gospel names it and makes it personal. And then it leads you to the only place where you can be cleansed and be free. And God is satisfied with the work of Jesus for you. Completely. So what do we do with that? God puts out the fire. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. But here's where we live. Just this week, I heard a, a man about my age. I'm in a group with a, a group of guys on Wednesdays. And, and here's what he said to me. It was this morning, as a matter of fact. He said, I live my whole life feeling like the hammer is always about to drop. I live my whole life, I don't even know why. Like, I feel like my life is going really, really well, but then like, I feel like something's gonna, something bad's gonna happen. Like, finally God's gonna go like, yeah, I'm gonna let you have it. I'm gonna let you like have a good life a little bit, and then boom. And, and here's the thing, I think a lot of us live that way. Here's what David knew. David knew that God was gonna drop the hammer and he was ultimately going to drop the hammer on someone else. And the cross of Jesus Christ means the hammer has dropped. It means the ultimate hammer has dropped. That means the ultimate judgment that the other shoe has dropped. And that we're free. There is therefore no possibility of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here's what we have. All of this crap inside of us. And we have a merciful God that says, I want you to boldly and daringly come to me with that. 
So secondly, not only does it mean the hammer is dropped, it means that we can be honest. It means that we can be honest, y'all. Like, Christianity is the only religion where people can come together and the only reason you're a part of this, the only reason you belong to it is because you don't, like, you're a failure. You can actually come and say, like, I don't have to pretend anymore. I'm a rebellious, perverted failure, and I need someone to, to save me and to wash me and to have mercy on me. This is who I am, and this is who God is. Okay, here's what that means at, at Vanderbilt. You're free. You're like a lot freer than you think you are, if you believe this. You're free from your past. Did you blow it your freshman year, some of you? Some of you like maybe like made an idiot out of yourself and like you're still trying to live it down. Like I've talked to students and they're like, I really made a mess and I was an idiot and now like I'm sort of known as that person. Have you like are, have you? We go like, yeah, David murdered somebody. God have mercy on him, and have mercy on me too. That you can actually be honest with God and you don't have to hide, you don't have to like act like you, you're not messed up anymore. That's profoundly freeing. That you can actually be yourself. Growing as a Christian really means growing into who you really are. Who you really are. Not trying to be somebody else. Not trying to be righteous, which takes so much energy. But just coming to God and saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. So, question for you, for us. Where are you? Where are you? The first question after the fall in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, the first thing they did was they sowed thick leaves from themselves and they hid from God. They hid from God because of their sin, and that's what we do. We hide from God, we hide from ourselves, and we hide from other people. And so God goes to them and He says, Where are you? He didn't ask that question because He didn't know where they were. Why are you hiding? Where are you? Where are those things in your life, maybe, that you have never given to God, some of you? What are those things that you think are so bad? What what are the things in your life that like you're you're comparing your quote small sin to someone else's big sin? And the reason that you don't feel close to God is because you're comparing yourself to someone else. So where are you? Let's pray. Lord, we believe this and we don't believe this because it seems too good to be true and for some people here maybe there's such a burden maybe there's such a sense of condemnation for for others here they don't even sense their, their need for forgiveness I pray that you would bring about conviction for one and comfort for the other and to those you convict you will bring comfort And those who are comfortable in their own sin, those who are comfortable in their own righteousness, that you would convict them. And lead us all to Jesus, where we can be honest because a hammer has dropped. In his precious name.